Hi, I'm Damien Chazelle. I wrote and directed Whiplash. I'm J.K. Simmons. I play the bald guy. I love that Right Away logo, by the way. Right Away Films. Another film that you were in. Yeah, briefly. A little, uh, little Clooney silhouette there. Brief but memorable. I mean, that, that leads me to, I guess, the person who brought us together. Uh, Indeed. Mr. Mi- Jason Reitman. Young Mr. Um, the, uh, I'd initially written this script, uh, and, you know, it's a jazz drummer script, not the easiest thing to convince people to finance, and so I was sending it all around town, anyone I knew, anyone I didn't know, and it wound up through sort of circuitous route in the hands of Helen Estabrook and, uh, and Jason Reitman. Um, and I think the very, in fact, I still have the email, the very first thing they suggested um, as soon as they were, I don't even know if they were officially on board yet, was what do you think of JK for Fletcher? And uh, um, and there was just something, especially, I think it especially had to do with the roles you had played in Jason's movies that made me love the idea even more than if you had only done stuff like Oz. Right, cool. Because there was that surprise element that I wanted. I wanted a little bit of that sort of like, Juno's dad, the dark side. <laughs> Juno's dad goes fucking nuts. <laughs> and here's young Miles Teller, who, uh, you know, was, I, I thought was going to be here today. Apparently he's, it's only 1130 in the morning, so he's probably hung over in his own dried up puke um, at this point. It's kind of how Miles rolls. Probably uh, a fair picture. Since he's not here, basically this commentary will largely be at his expense. Yep. I, largely character assassination is what, is what I'm after here. <laughs> Much like my role in the film. <laughs> People will realize just how similar to Fletcher you actually are. And there I am wearing my own clothing, because when we shot the short version of this film, there were, I think, $11 in the wardrobe budget, and uh, I let the other actor have that. No, the $11 actually just went to my salary. Ah. Uh, well, it was your salary for the short. Yes, yeah. Doubled it for the feature. Yep. Oh, no, yeah, we, we, we had a luxurious time in the feature. Uh, one of the really cool things about uh, the casting of Miles, and Damien had Miles in mind from the beginning as he was writing this. It was shortly after Rabbit Hole had come out. Uh, Damien did not know that Miles had been playing the drum since he was 15 years old. And basically, uh, between uh, Damien and another teacher, they had uh, three or four weeks to prep Miles and turn his cheesy rock drumming into uh, accomplished jazz drumming teaching him how to use his left hand and yeah if you if you notice miles's left hand he's 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 doing what's called traditional grip uh which is not uh even jazz drummers these days actually normally don't use traditional grip they normally use matched grip where both hands are matching they're both doing the same thing um and it seems like a sort of simple thing to kind of alter in your in your posture but it actually dictates a whole different physical approach to the drums. And I remember when Miles first started learning this stuff, for a moment it almost didn't matter that, he, that he'd had experience in the drums before because he looked just like a beginner. Um, and uh, so I have, I have video footage of him uh, looking very worrisome to, to my eyes. Oh, on, so blackmail on, footage, on the drums, Total blackmail footage. Yeah. Um, and then he, something clicked, you know, at a certain point he, he, he got adept at the, at the grip and as soon as he was adept at the grip, everything else followed because Miles is just a sponge. He's, he's, he's so good at picking stuff up. Yeah, really he still quickly. owes me money actually. Uh, well that too. Yeah. He's, he's a sponge and uh, a terrible human being, but he, uh, but he's wonderful at, at sort of imitating and picking stuff up like just nothing else. And he's a good dancer. He's got good rhythm. So, um, 
everything else kind of followed. And suddenly, I remember being so excited when I actually came in about, you know, a couple weeks into his rehearsals, came into the rehearsal room, saw him playing, and suddenly he was a drummer. He was a jazz drummer. This, to me, uh, uh, complete non sequitur, this, this sequence here justified our uh, going to New York for a day, even though all my New York stuff was cut. Um, there's such a such a good feel and a throwback well, feel. Well, we just we just wanted you along just for moral yeah, for support. moral support. Yeah. yeah, and plus I got this, the, I got this to go is to, actually L.A. Yeah, but everything up to this, all the yep. all those exteriors uh, uh, were sort of established the the New York vibe, and the trip to New York was worth it for me because I got to go to Two Boots. So well, there you go. And there's I remember, the lovely I Melissa. You sent me a picture of it. Yeah. Yeah, Melissa, Melissa, but actually we're establishing our two main supporting actors right now, Melissa Benoist and the great Paul Reiser. What was fun about sort of, you know, filling out the, you know, we started out by casting you and, and Miles, and then it became a matter of, of figuring out who made sense opposite these people. Melissa, Melissa auditioned and just blew me and everyone away with her audition. I remember it was like the end of a long day of a lot of auditions, and, and I was kind of sort of in a daze. And Everybody's she, favorite process, by the way, auditions. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's wonderful. Yeah. I get to scream at people, and, you know, it's great. No, I mean, it was, it was, uh, she came in and she immediately, it, it, you know, became immediately apparent that, um, that it had to be her. And Paul Reiser, I mean, obviously I've, I've loved since, you know, since back, I love him in Diner. I love, you know, obviously Mad About You and Aliens. And, but I, uh, but what actually made, reminded me of him is I watched the Soderbergh movie Behind the Candelabra, where he plays, uh, where he plays a lawyer. And it's, you know, it's sort of, it's a very non kind of comical performance, um, very sort of in the pocket but really beautifully human and so understated, so kind of subtly observed. Yeah, was, I think people, who, exactly that, people that who know him from his comedy stuff, uh, uh, well, and of course, Damien's been on the planet less than half as long as I have and has seen 10 times as many films, so I, didn't even, I never <laughs> even saw the Soderbergh film you're talking about, but, uh, but I'd seen enough of Paul's work. You've heard of Soderbergh, that, uh, though, right? He's uh, some guy who, what does he do? Something with movies. Yes, right? yeah. yes. Okay, good. I was um, afraid there for a second, but no, you, you, you. I, I, I mean, I knew enough about Paul's work to know that, uh, you know, he was going to be a wonderful choice to play Miles' dad. Lovely insert there on the uh, the jealous you, Andrew Neiman looking at You'd the, be surprised how long we worked on the, the ear insert. <laughs> There was ear, there was eye, there was insert on kissing. I mean, it was all, it's all about kind of trying to figure out a fast shorthand in the beginning of a movie to get into the, the mindset, the way of viewing of, of Andrew. And, and that also actually, going back to the New York stuff, that dictated how we shot that. Everything about the New York images at the outset were about showing New York less as it really is now and more as it was in 70s movies, where it was all about New York, the scary crime capital. So a lot of blacks and greens, um, a lot of fluorescence, um, and just a lot of uh, just a lot of buildings towering over you. I remember how New York used to feel when I was a kid going there. I grew up in New Jersey, and I'd go into New York with my mom sometimes, and and just coming out of Penn Station, right in Midtown, which is where we shot most of that New York stuff. Just looking up immediately at these buildings that looked like gargoyles, just staring down at you. Um, that was the feeling in New York I wanted to capture, and that. It also dictated a lot of the interiors that we wound up doing in L.A. This is this is in the Palace uh, Palace Theater um, in downtown L.A. Yeah, almost all of our L.A. shooting was was downtown, so it uh, which has that kind of seedy grandeur sort right. of feel that New York as, used to have. Came as close to having that New York, yeah, especially that sort of anachronistic New yeah. York vibe. 
And especially when you're down there for, you know, 16 hours and uh, wrapping at 4 a.m. When you're hearing the sirens uh, <laughs> yeah, that start yeah. going. Um, hold the roll, hold the roll. <laughs> <laughs> yep, the shootings. Uh, yeah, I mean, we joke, but I do remember at a certain point in the shoot, they had to start instituting an actual, like, shoot protocol for people leaving set. Like, people weren't allowed to walk to their cars, I think. Yeah, no, we had own. to, uh, yeah, some, some uh, people had when, to. When we'd be doing night shoots. Escorts. So yeah, just, we just saw Nate, one of the other, uh, well, we just seen both the uh, the other drummer, actor drummers in the movie. Yeah, Nate Lane plays Carl. Uh, he was in the short film that uh, right. that JK was in as well, which is what we did to kind of help raise money for the feature. And uh, Nate was that perfect, you know, combination, an actual trained thespian, but also a professional drummer. So he not only slipped in easily, you know, slipped easily into the role, he also became Miles's, basically Miles's drum coach. Uh, on set. I mean, I was there as well as a drummer myself to kind of oversee stuff when I could, but Nate was sort of by Miles' side a lot, um, and Miles based a lot of his style on Nate's style, which is, again is sort of old-school, traditional grip jazz playing. And then um, and Austin Stoll, who, uh, who plays uh, Ryan, uh, or as you like to refer to him, the Leprechaun, um, was, <laughs> we'll get to that. Uh, is actually not a redhead. Um, and... Uh, um, initially, we were just looking for redheads, and uh, Austin, again, just, it was a matter of in auditions. Uh, we just did a lot of improv with him, and he's so, the funny thing is he's such a nice guy in person, in real life, but so good at playing an utter tool. Much, much <laughs> like myself, that, that same range of uh, being a, just a stunningly wonderful human being, but being able to, you know, have play a, such a raving asshole. Yeah, 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 no. I mean, it's probably the only person who's not a stunningly wonderful human being on the set was Miles. Miles was, yeah. you know, pain in the ass. But, you know, the ultimate, uh, the end product was worth it. Love the shoe shot. Yes. And there's, a, there's another one coming up. Uh, Damien did such yeah. a great job of establishing my character by other people's response to me. And in this scene here... Uh, and then in the earlier scene where that we were blathering over, where uh, we see my silhouette in the doorway and right. everybody paying attention, and then in a scene to come where I uh, where I enter a studio band, the the top band for the first time. It's uh, the, so much of the movie lives on people's reactions to what's going on. We'll see that again when we get to the scene, um, the scene with. Uh, um, well, I don't want to give it away in case you haven't seen the movie yet. But another scene with. Uh, well, yeah, Miles I, I and hope, Melissa. I hope they're watching the movie for the first time with commentary. <laughs> yeah, with it's us really, blathering it's really on a over. Great way to. And this scene, this was everyone really, dies at the end. <laughs> this was fun to shoot because again, we we had uh, these musicians are real players, and they're the all best. all the stuff is we're actually you know this is all live playing. Yeah, so it was uh, it was a combination of of what he wrote and then of what Damien wrote and then sort of responding to exactly what came out of somebody's horn, um, or uh, or in this case, off the kit. The one other shout-out I want to give is to Damon Gupton, who's off-screen right now, yes. um, but is, uh, plays, uh, plays the Nassau Band, uh, Nassau Band conductor. And I kind of modeled him, to a certain extent, on... I, I was in a, you know, a lower... Uh, I, I was in... In my school, there was Nassau Band and Studio Band. I even borrowed the names. And, uh, and I developed this really nice relationship with, uh, with the Nassau Band conductors, this really sort of sweet guy. And, um, and Damon... Uh, Damon just has such a kind of compassion in his face, and he's just in so many ways the opposite of you. Right. Yeah. And um, and just and a nice jazz vibe. And again, he you know yeah. he's just a good actor. So he, so you get that sort of 
uh, that same anachronistic feel from him you yeah. know, that you were looking for in the movie. Yeah, he knew the lingo. He knew. I mean, a lot of the stuff he was saying in the earlier scene of rehearsal was just stuff he came up with. Uh, you know, I, I just kind of written bare bones or directions for him. And he just came in and uh, he's a musician himself. Um, uh, so he was able to just fill out the character. It's one of those sort of small roles that I think really pops because of because of the right actor. I love this shot, by the way, that, that you know, it gets brought Miles to me over the back of my head, never left Miles, watches the back of him turn around and just watches him absorb the whole reality of what happened and then incorporates Ryan also at the end of the shot. <laughs> Ryan looking somewhat, yeah. somewhat disgruntled. And in this um, scene here, uh, you will notice, very French, if I may say, Mr. Monsieur Chazelle, um, the whole scene lives right here. It's a two shot, and it was another scene that you know Damien had scripted, and uh, and the and the actors uh, uh, took the script, and you know he gave them enough leeway with it to sort of uh, uh, you know make it their own, and just uh, just be so comfortable and so human and natural. And this was this was uh, you know we joke about how fast we had to shoot this movie and how you know it doesn't give you the the option to do lots of takes most of the time. This was one of those scenes where we actually. It took a while to get the rhythms right, especially because I sort of knew I wanted to play it all in one. Um, and I think, you know, the initial takes were often what I find is kind of nice as a sort of, you know, you start off with a couple takes where you're really hewing very closely to the script. Then you kind of give the actors complete reign to just literally do whatever they want. And then you sort of wind up in this kind of halfway point where you're, you're sort of, you're, you're walking over the beats of the script, you're getting the beats of the script, but, you're, but they're giving their own inflections to them. And so I think this was probably a take that was somewhat later in the process. It was probably the second to last take or so. But they just developed this kind of rhythm. And this it, is such a great shot here, pulling Miles away and, you know, watching his smug little I did it smile there. The little I did what it smile dork. that's about to get slapped out of yeah. him quite, quite literally. Sure, my alarm clock didn't go off. All right. This too, is again. This is art imitating busy. life here. Miles, uh, you know, drunk, passed out at home, looking exactly like that <laughs> as we speak, except with a little dried puke around his mouth. <laughs> oh, Miles! I hope he doesn't listen to this. Oh, he will. <laughs> he will rue the day. He it'll be too late though. This. By the time he hears this, it'll be. We will have moved on. Well, you'll be working with him. I know. Can you believe it? Miles and Damien are si doing signing uh, up for the the miles the miles wagon yet again. <laughs> no, I mean I think to uh, I'm going to take a brief moment uh, to to not insult Miles, and then we can get back to it. Sure. Um, the go ahead. I'm going I'm to take a potty break. Then. Cool, cool. The thing the thing about Miles that um, that I think I just find myself endlessly fascinated by is just uh, is just he's got these eyes that you know enables a movie like this to live in close-ups. He's got these eyes that are so full of emotions, so expressive, um, can do so many different things, but in such a subtle way. And really, I mean, it's, 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 this is a tough role because most of this role is actually listening or reacting to this kind of force of nature, which is, which is you, which is Fletcher. And I think a lot of actors could have just sort of wound up existing in the shadow. He doesn't have quite as much dialogue as Fletcher. In fact, he communicates a lot of his emotions through the drumming. And uh, so it's a much more kind of physicalized, less, vo less vocalized performance. And for an actor of his age, it's just rare to find someone who normally you have to kind of have a face that's weathered a lot of stuff to kind of have that sort of expressivity. And um, he's able to just be, you know, boyish when he wants to be, vulnerable when he, when he wants to be, cocky when he wants to be, but express all that stuff just through 
not through dialogue, but just through his face. In real life, he specializes in cocky. In real life, he, he cocky do the is other definitely so the... Much, yeah. yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> so I remember, you know, for this, I just drew a lot from stuff that I remembered my first day. And, you know, I was, I, I was in a sort of cutthroat um, competitive jazz ensemble. And I remember my first day in there. I remember... There you are with the shoes. I remember the, right, now the, we, now uh, we see, uh, the band leader the, coming in. All the faces. I remember everyone well, we, getting silent. We see my hideous mug here, but then but then we see... Uh, I love how you take off the uh, the earbuds, just how you place your jacket so He's a precise human being, yes. Yeah, there's something really so elegant about it. I mean, that was another thing that I think, you know, the wardrobe was really your idea. Uh, the, the, sort of the black, the, the T-shirt. Um, but it also obviously brings to mind dance. And there's something, there's something so physical about your performance as Fletcher that was not on the page. You know, the words were on the page to some extent, but the whole physical apparatus of the of the character was not. And you turned him into this kind of uh, this sort of evil Fred Astaire. <laughs> Fred Astaire gone to seed. <laughs> that was a, that was an example right there. Of, you know, a, a little a little close up on Miles that tells us so much. You know. Yeah, about his, uh, uh, you know, struggling to uh, to feel like he belongs right there in that moment. And then all these guys are, you know, other than Miles, uh, everyone here is a real musician. Um, you know, Nate is a musician and an actor. Most of the other guys uh, are had never been in a movie. Um, some of them had, but most of them were actual music students in the area or professional musicians. And... Uh, so we were able to kind of get into the groove of doing these scenes with these guys actually playing. So sometimes what you're hearing is post-dubbed or pre-recorded, but when we were actually on set, you know, these guys are actually blowing sounds in their instruments and they actually know what they're playing. So I think for, for you and Miles, it helped create this, uh, and for me as well, to be honest, I mean, it helped create this feeling of actually being in a band room. We were living in this, this was a set, it was all built, so it was definitely not a real room at all. And uh, so we've tried to kind of make it feel after a while that, we were just at band rehearsal with a yeah, very it, mean conductor. <laughs> and it really did, too. And, and it was nice that, uh, that Miles had, uh, you know, the drumming background. And I have a musical background. I, I studied music in college. So we, uh, we both were able to s establish a little credibility with these guys who, who really, really played. And there were, yeah, there were extended periods where we were... We were really cranking. I, I, I keep having to not say we were really rocking. <laughs> oh, we, we were God. really jazzing in the uh, in the room there, both here and then with the with the pro band later on at Carnegie Hall. And the whole color palette of this room was something that sh uh, the DP Sharon uh, and I talked a lot about. Um, uh, the the short that you and I had done, JK, was was uh, had a very different color palette. It was actually more based on what the band room looked like in my experience, my own band room, which had been white walls, more neon, and, uh, uh, right? Yeah, like like uh, I mean, uh, big uh, uh, fluorescent and yeah. big open windows, a lot of whites. And for this, we decided to go kind of 180 and really give it this this windowless, claustrophobic sort of feel, and yet still there's still a beauty to it. There's something about how these top lights and these orange lights uh, or yellow lights kind of bounce off symbols and, and off a, people's and an faces. an old school feel too. Which, no, yeah, there's a real. It's just very beautiful to me. Uh, the, 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 this kind of you know brown on amber on yellow. On oh, black I thought you were talking about me. Color as range. I approached the um, camera there. That was that was a beautiful that, shot. That that goes without saying though. Your your <laughs> your face is always a marvel. My beautiful head. <laughs> and uh, 
And then once we figured out the palette for this room, that sort of determined the palette for everything else. But I remember we spent so long looking for a room that looked like this. We did lots of location scouts looking for the perfect band room, and we just couldn't find it. We'd find rooms where the the wooden walls were too dark and they would swallow up too much light, or where the uh, the room itself did not give us enough room to play around in. Um, and eventually we decided to just build it. So this is also at the Palace Theater. We're literally on the stage of the Palace Theater right now, and our incredible production designer, Melanie Jones, uh, with, with a, you know, negative budget, yeah. uh, somehow managed to... Uh, to uh, build this entire thing for us, and we lived here for a week. Yeah, and it was it was, and it really created the environment for us. And there's also my office adjacent to this was part of the set too that we, uh, which was a scene. Yeah, there was a long scene in there. Now, in in the final cut, there's a that we see it only briefly. And this, <laughs> my first victim here, CJ, who somehow signed up to be the victim. Uh, Again, after right, he, he had CJ the short had been in the short. Um, after I spit in his face on the short. Accidentally. Oh, of course, of course. Yes. And this, I think, again, but we see... Fuck, yeah, so? there's, there's me being loud for the first time. And we see Miles. That's such a great shot there. It's like, oh my, what the... Yeah, what the fuck did I walk into? I remember you and I talked about... Speaking of screaming, um, there's a lot of screaming that, that Fletcher does in this movie, and and we tried to, but I think we wound up utterly failing, and somehow your voice still, I, I'm still amazed that you did it. We tried to, you know, kind of initially partition out the screaming sort of sections so that your voice wouldn't, basically to give your voice a break. Yeah. And because, for example, because, like, of this set that we had to live in, a lot of the screaming takes place in this set. So it wound up being a lot of back-to-back. Like, this week, I'm sure, was the, the week we shot in this set was probably particularly hard on your on your vocal cords. Yeah, but, it, I mean, I, and I appreciated the efforts to, to break it up. And, and it still did end up broken up some. You can, I can't remember where it is, but there is one scene where I, I can sort of hear... When I'm not screaming, I can sort of hear that I was uh, my voice was a little fragged. The toll, and I try, you know, uh, I'm a, do, you know, I'm a sing, trained actor. Days, I have uh, all my, you know, I used to sing. Yeah. And I, I have, you know, proper vocal technique and all that. But for this screaming, it just had to be so 100% balls out that there was there was no question of technique or of trying to do it correctly. It was just. Uh, I th- I think I think the only the only concrete direction I remember giving you uh, before. Before the short, I remember we were in a parking lot the day before the short, and you asked me, um, I think you asked me sort of, you know, so how, how far do you want me to go on, uh, on some, you know, when it says in the script here, he screams, how, how far do you want it to go? And, uh, and I just said, as, like, farther than humanly possible. I want it to, I want it to be inhuman. I want it to be animalistic. And, um, and I literally think that's the, that's the only thing I remember actually kind of concretely saying, because... I remember day one of the short, you showed up, uh, and you were so the character. In fact, it wasn't even necessarily the character I'd written. It was better than the character I'd written. It was, it was this fully realized version of what had been sketched on the page. Um, and then that, of course, obviously gave me a sort of sense of what you would do in the feature. And the feature felt like, it felt like we just got to enrichen that character. We just got to sort of oh, yeah, expand absolutely. on and yeah. deepen that character over the course of, you know, four weeks instead of three days. And going back to that, what was on the page, Miles and I have uh, expressed this many times to each other. And uh, and as we've done, uh, uh, we're in the middle of doing screenings and, and uh, the film's about to uh, be released now as we record this. Um, 
we keep coming back to people say, you know, what was it that attracted you to this? You know, how did you develop this character? And, and it, in, in for both of us and for the vast majority of the people who were involved in this project, it was all about what Damien put on the page to begin with. And uh, we felt like our job was, uh, was just to not screw it up and, and lift it off the page and then, and, uh, you know, and then, and then be in the room together, be in the moment together. And, uh, which all these actors did in this film, obviously miles, uh, was the one that I, I got to work with the most, but Nate and, uh, I mean, uh, everybody that I, uh, that I had a chance to interact with in this film brought a nice, uh, a nice level of both preparation and spontaneity, which is the environment that Damien created for us. And, uh, and you know, which is sort of, what jazz is all about, which is a beautiful mm -hmm. thing. And yes, the infamous, uh, the infamous moment that I that I wish nobody knew about when they went to see the movie <laughs> is, uh, is gotta, approaching here. Sell tickets. <laughs> it is fun to play to play with the. I mean, I know me and the editor, uh, the editor and I, Tom Cross. Little trouble there. This is one of those moments that you, you you have to admit you have fun with in the editing room because. Uh, it's like knowing the bomb's about to go off, but the character doesn't. But maybe he's starting to realize there's a fuse, and uh, and you're slowly building that knowledge. And it's all about Miles's face, kind of slowly realizing that. And also, what I love is the face of Nate Lane behind yeah, him, yeah. who is just—I mean, if you look at him, he is just chewing scenery. Well, but, and but having, in this, but in this wonderful way of just, oh, he's, uh, he's having such a good time <laughs> that yeah. this, this, this little upstart that he was, he, he was worried for a moment, I think, that Andrew actually was good and was maybe going to cost him his seat. And now he knows, oh, this is going to be a yeah. delight to watch. And seeing this, you know, or being, being in Miles' shoes, in Andrew's shoes, having seen, you know, the outburst with the trombone player is, uh, right. uh, adds that level of that's Sheer terror here, as I'm being very understanding and just trying to help him get it right here, you know. Wait, the mic, you. Exactly. The guitar I mean, player in the background too is like, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> it is so funny. Yeah, you just spend the scene looking at other people's faces. Um, but that's what—that's definitely what the trombonist instant gives you. It gives you that sort of, you know, it's—it's it's like the. It's like your first act of violence in a violent movie, and then it, you can actually you can it buys you. It buys you the ability to play around with that threat because we know the threat is there, but we're not sure exactly where it's going to come from. And so you want to milk it. I mean, I really wanted to milk the tension in these sort of scenes and 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 just stretch it as far as you can, you know, just sort of like a spring. Um, people sometimes talk about sort of creating tension that way and you're just waiting for the, uh, for the thing to shoot back. That's such a great shot of my. Now, you know, in most movies, you're going to see, you know, you're cutting back and forth between a, a kind of a like a, a waist up shot of me, you know, full front, and that profile shot of Miles, which is just oh, and this is my favorite part of the movie. Ah, <laughs> oh, the slapping of Miles. <laughs> um, yeah, but you know, we spent I, a lot of time on these. Slaps. We did spend a lot of time on these slaps. Many, many. Look at the red cheek there. Many yeah, slaps. Yeah. But that's that's good because I've already slapped him three or four times. By then, you know? <laughs> yeah, the red cheek is totally justified. Yeah, and now a little wuss starts to tear up. Oh boy, this scene was fun. <laughs> this this was now, the uh, as actually I mean I think it's 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 uh, a lot of people might know this was the scene of the short. So J.K., you got to kind of you got to do this you got to do this I twice. Yeah, smack a couple of different actors. Around. But we <laughs> now here come uh, uh, coming up now soon is the single tear moment, and this is this was one of the things that I was as I watched it in the theater, which I've been able to see a few times. 
It's one of those where if you were on stage doing a comedy, you would be able to hold for the laugh because there's a brilliant line here that, that is almost never heard. I say the thing about the single tier. Right. Are you one of those single tier people? And, and that always gets a big laugh. And then the line that follows that up is, what, do I look like a fucking double rainbow to you? <laughs> Which is one of my favorite lines that Damien wrote. Here we go. For no one hears that. Yeah. Now they will. Do I look like a double fucking rainbow to you? Of course, maybe that maybe that line's already dated. You know the YouTube video that it refers to. Uh, well, only because you told me about it later. I, uh, but uh, but it's actually okay. Double rainbow is just a funny word, even. Yeah, yeah, no, it, regardless. It works whether it's a, a specific uh, contemporary I, reference. Or I remember not. when uh, one thing that was kind of great for me working, you know, doing the scene. Even the first time when we did the short, I'd initially written all this whole stream of dialogue in the script as just delivered at a non-stop kind of, in my mind, delivered at a non-stop sort of volley at full volume pitch. And actually what you did uh, was you wound up shaping it a lot more so that... Oh, well, it took a breath once in a while. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you utterly ruined it. Um, no, but, it, you know, it makes stuff like the single tear line. That said yeah. in a whisper is so much more humiliating than it screamed out. And... Uh, and that's actually one thing that I think is really sort of, you know, was fun working with you on this character of, of, of sort of figuring out which lines are actually delivered at full volume, which are sort of whispered. And, and a lot of the scariest moments I find with your character and with Fletcher are the softest moments yeah. uh, or even the seemingly nice moments, the moment in the hallway before that scene where you're just kind of telling them to have fun. One of my um, favorite little... Uh, the yeah, Buddy Rich, about Buddy Rich actually... But so, yeah, people ask me sometimes, oh, did you come up with that? No, no, Buddy Rich actually actually said that and he said a lot of stuff very much like that but he rich is a fount of one-liners and um, the uh yeah the uh, the jazz musicians in the in the audience always appreciate that, that <laughs> two seconds on screen I and this is so again this is just another yeah 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 i'm gonna go on about miles being a good actor he's a kid who's you know i mean obviously he's a movie star and uh, and his star is on the rise and uh and that's a beautiful thing and you know and he's enjoying every second of that as a matter of fact he's you know as we said hung over sleeping in his own dried puke right now because he was out enjoying that last night. But, you know, the kid is also a trained actor, went to theater school, NYU. I mean, once he, once he decided that, uh, that this was what he wanted to do for a living, um, he's a very serious and dedicated uh, young actor and, and really has all the, all the tools in his toolbox to, uh, to continue to, uh, to progress and have a career that's, uh, that's more than just, uh, you know, a commercial success and... Uh, He's, uh, he's the real deal. I remember certainly bonding with him over just ambition and the idea of ambition. Um, I mean, that's certainly, if there's one thing that defines this character in the movie, Andrew, it's, it's ambition, it's drive. Um, and, and Miles actually, I, he, I think he's spoken about this in the, some speak about this in a Q&A or, or something, but um, also the idea of kind of how monomaniacal this character is and in a way how that sort of helps you as an actor. Um, the, the, every scene, the motivation for every scene for this guy is, is, is pretty much the same. It's, I want to drum. I want to be a great drummer. And I don't know, I guess I find those sort of characters really, really fascinating. And it doesn't mean that they're one note. You can find a lot of shading and someone like Miles is able to find a ton of shading and even characters that might in other people's hands be one note. But at the end of the day, this right here is Andrew. Like, this is, if there's one thing that defines Andrew, it's the kid who sits at his drum set and drums past the point where his hand is bleeding. And 
And, you know, to be honest, that's what I did. I mean, I, I sort of locked myself in a practice room uh, for hours and hours and hours and drummed way past bleeding hands. Um, we also made a point, in case you missed it, of cutting straight from the blood gushing from Miles' hand to Melissa looking like she's about to vomit in her napkin. So it's a little, a little inner joke, my editor oh, nice, and I. Nice. I like that. <laughs> no one seems to pick up on, but that's okay. And Melissa, I mean, she's, she's so wonderful in this movie, and I, I, I well, I don't get out much or watch much of anything outside of baseball on TV, so I hadn't seen, I, I didn't know who she was, I hadn't seen Glee, and yeah. um, she's so, uh, well, first of all, she's such a, like, stunningly beautiful woman, but but this sort of girl-next-door character that uh, that she plays in this movie is just really so sweet, so endearing, and, and you uh, you really grow to love this character so much, which uh, makes the the later scene that much more devastating. Yeah, I mean, in a way, that that later scene is what we started with. That was the breakup scene is what we auditioned uh, people on, and it was actually the first scene we sh- we shot with with Melissa was the breakup scene. So that was kind of you had to work backwards from that, and it had to sort of you know work in order to make that scene sort of hit home. And we play that scene mostly on Melissa's face. Um, she's well, the, if you had a choice, I mean, that face or that face, what are you going to choose? I mean, well, right? Yeah, I mean, the the decision is made up for you, but. Uh, but the, the uh, she's the collateral damage in a way. Um, but it was also important that 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 collateral damage actually be human. That you actually humanize them and that you sort of see what makes them tick. And, and well, this is and this lays sows or plants. Sorry, the seeds for that. Yeah, sowing, planting, same thing, right? Um, uh, this because we see, you know, we see that beat there where you know Andrew was you know, a little bit of a dick to her because of, because he has this inner drive and this ambition. Yep. And she's just like, you know, a 20-year-old college kid who's, you know, just like a normal 20-year-old college kid. Doesn't know what she wants to do. She's just, uh, you know, she's vulnerable and sweet. And, uh, you know, now he uh, he steps back from that and and they uh, and they sort of rebond. But that's, that's the, to me, a very early hint of, of, what's, yeah, of what's to come. What's yeah. to come. What he's to become. And I love that. I mean, this this was shot in L.A. Again, I mean, this that's such a, a New York feel. This shot. I mean, it looks like you know dozens of pizza joints that I've been to in New York. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Sharon. Uh, it's it's really all color palette, you know. So Sharon and I knew we wanted this scene to be green, and um, the interior studio band stuff to be, you know, red orange, uh-huh. and uh, and then outdoors daylight outdoor stuff was supposed was blue you know and you got to work with the LA sun because the LA sun is not blue the LA sun is hard and hard hitting um, but it's just figuring out I think also we were shooting digitally we we're shooting on the Alexa I, I tend to kind of not like digital as much as as much as film um, where I well, like I digital is I think you're uh, you're not alone in that and it's uh, <laughs> unfortunately I think the next 50 films you make uh, I, how many times do you think you're going to work on film I'm going to do it as much as I possibly yeah. can but yeah, no well, I I, you, I, do, I don't have any illusions um, I think where digital works and I think digital is getting better and better um, right now I think where digital works best is in controlled color palettes and um, so Sharon and I definitely tried to sort of stick to that and hue to that that was a lovely little beat right there, by the way, where, you know, one of the guys from the competitive bands kind of hip checks one of our guys as he's walking <laughs> right. by. You know, I mean, there's because they're all I mean, such that, assholes. That establishes the level of, so you know, sort of helps show the stakes. I, just, I remember these competitions that I would go to yeah. and they, they were all it was, Wait, it was sh- fun recreating us. This is my one nice moment in the entire movie. Let's you mean where you get her name listen. wrong? They <laughs> call her Ava and then Amy. Have you noticed that in the final cut? Oh, yeah, it's right. Who here. the hell edited this movie? <laughs> what the? 
<laughs> well, for you viewers, well, my heart's in the it. right place, at least for eight seconds. Eight there. seconds, and then we get all right, cocksuckers. Oh, lovely, yeah. lovely. It is funny how that moment always gets a laugh. <laughs> you going back to being you. Yeah, uh, it's in your nature. And this was this was was this at the palace, the Orpheum? No, the, now the Los we're, Angeles. We're, we're in a high school. What was the name of the high school? It was. Uh, oh, that's right. Uh, the, the, this was our last. This was either our last day of shooting or our second last day of shooting. We basically. We finished our last week with the first three days were the Orpheum Theater where we did all the Carnegie Hall stuff. And then the last two days were at this high school where we did Donellan, Overbrook, all the kind of competition um, stuff. And uh, we were just, I remember at this point, we were just banning through stuff. I mean, this was just kind of, you know, we set up two cameras, did one on you, one on the band. And I think that was about it. I think that was the extent of coverage on this scene. Stop being so polite. Get the fuck out of my sight before I demolish you. (laughs) That's Michael Cohen, uh, who plays... uh, who plays the stagehand. I can still fucking see you, Mini-Me! A.K.A. Mini-Me. Fresh from the pen of Damien Chazelle. The vast majority of the streaming uh, expletives are, uh, are are directly off the page. Again, we did have... Oh, you're trying, uh, you to, did... trying to absolve yourself of responsibility. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, Damien gave us some freedom. I and, just you know, said what he wrote. An insult uh, you know, uh, or two that I, that I threw in on my own. But uh, he has uh, a lovely twisted mind full of... Uh, Full of nasty insults. Yeah, I remember Reitman, one of the first times I met him, sort of going, ah, oh, this is so weird because you seem like a nice guy in person, but you're really an <laughs> asshole. You're sort of flipping through the pages. Um, and this uh, this piece that they're playing, I sh- I'll talk a little bit about the music quickly. Um, this piece is uh, uh, composed and arranged by Tim Simonek, uh, who's a great, uh, great composer. He's done a lot of arrangements uh, for uh, Michael Giacchino and a lot of other film composers and sort of relished the opportunity to just do original big band pieces. And so he, uh, he did a couple of the pieces that we see them sort of playing in competitions other than Whiplash and Caravan, which were licensed. Um, and then Justin Hurwitz, who's a composer I've known since college, who I kind of do everything with, um, did everything else. So, so other than Whiplash and Caravan, pretty much every single piece of music you hear in this movie, even if it's kind of on a radio or something, is original um, and uh, was either written by Tim or, or by Justin. And all the underscore was by Justin. But it was all about kind of fitting into that soundscape of, of later big band jazz, or right. 60s, 70s big band jazz, which is, I mean, to me, it's like the closest jazz gets to like punk rock. It's just like really edgy, aggressive, energetic, angry at times. It's not the jazz that you casually sip martinis too and that was we kept talking about we do not want this jazz to be the kind of jazz that you hear on on a talk show or something uh, this is this is not that kind of jazz well and it's all so well integrated the you know the stuff justin wrote the stuff tim wrote and uh the duke ellington and the hank levy um really so uh, there, there's so much a, a uniform uh a uniformity of style here, and this is this is Nate's chance to go off. Oh yeah. <laughs> There's also he, uh, a he, moment here where wait, wait, wait for it, wait for it. Okay, I don't know if you just heard that. Someone screaming, "Tanner, you think it's J.K.? It's actually me. It's my cameo." Isn't that amazing? That you my little bitch. My voice is in the movie. Is you? Oh, it's your Alfred Hitchcock moment. Your Mel Brooks moment. Yeah, but it's vocal. I do my own. I'm doing my little. Yeah, my okay. little. This was uh, this scene was probably the easiest in the entire movie to cut. 
you know, there's some scenes that look kind of easy on screen that were just a bitch to cut, and then there's some that look hard that were easy to cut. But this, uh, again, I think a lot of the material, again, this is still part of those last two days, and a lot of this stuff we just weren't doing a lot of takes of. We didn't have time. And also we had kind of developed as a crew, we developed a kind of groove. So, and, and you guys well, had a cast too, yeah. Group. Yeah, and so it's just, we just set up the cameras. Again, this is basically living in two angles. Right, Nate and Miles were so, so present in this unit. I, I love that shot <laughs> of my giant, ugly, bulbous head between the two of them. <laughs> between the two. <laughs> what, what, what Tom and I would joke, the editor and I would joke that this is, it's the two brothers going to the dad and kind of, uh, it's almost biblical in a sense. The <laughs> yeah, two, yeah, so yeah. He did it. No, Chain he did Abel. it. Yeah. <laughs> he started it. And then you've got the dad who's just having none of it. Um, but also just... Just uh, you can sense Nate on the in kind of the corner of the frame, just being so angry when Miles kind of takes takes the reins of the scene and says, "I'll play it," because uh, Nate knows what's coming. And that's another line that sometimes gets swallowed up by laughter is the uh, the Sanjay Gupta line. That, <laughs> that is another favorite of mine. Yeah, Sanjay Gupta. I remember this was. Uh, you know, we talked a lot about how to stage the different musical performance scenes and everything. Similarly to how we worked the Nicole storyline back from the breakup, we worked all the musical performances in this movie back from the idea of how we were going to shoot the ending. Uh, oh, I just we, the, the the shot we just left. I don't know if we go back to it or not, but it's so beautiful because you have you know the the bass player and the do. trumpet player who are real musicians. You have. Yeah, yeah, look at that. And Nate's face is just like behind the symbol, which <laughs> yeah. is so perfect for what's happening to him right now. He doesn't exist. Oh, the poor guy. <laughs> He's slowly. And, and actually, the rest of his trajectory in this movie is him to just be slowly sucked into the background. Yeah. Um, but the idea, yeah, I mean, here was just to shoot this as simply as possible. There's little flourishes like this. This felt very kind of, you know, Hitchcock, the man who knew too much. Uh, the sort of, you know, his remake of The Man Who Knew Too Much. Um, but other than that, very simple sort of coverage. And um, again, we didn't want to give away too many bells and whistles before the Carnegie Hall blowout. And there's other things that we do in other musical sequences. The big sort of three-person drum off we knew would be handheld and kind of run and gun and done in that style. So we tried to kind of make sure that the different pieces weren't jumping on each other's toes and that we were keeping the grammar of this movie as something that's constantly developing and not repeating itself. And right there at the end of that scene was an, a, a brief glimpse. There was a there was a little speech that that we shot. Oh, of, that's of, right. Of me and and it was it was a, a glimpse. And there were several throughout the movies. A glimpse of of Fletcher's you know kinder, gentler side and seeing him sort of bonded with his boys and and being uh, you know actually very kind and generous and and, and even emotional. That uh, that at the end of the day, <laughs> Damien thought, no, we, we really we have to be very, very sparing with when we allow the audience to see a side of this character that is that is human and humane. And uh, and uh, it was, you know, of course, the first thing you see as an actor when you're watching a movie is what got cut. Um, but uh, <laughs> I was but very I, worried when you saw this movie for the first time. You <laughs> came into the cutting room when we were close to Pixlock, not quite Pixlock. Right. And uh Tom and I had a moment of looking at each other going, well, it was nice knowing you. JK's coming in. (laughs) We did not do a life imitates art uh, explosion there. No, I think at the end of the day, you know, I mean, obviously the the movie, the movie soars. I mean, it's, it starts and it goes and, and, uh, you know, it ends with that climax. And I I think there was, you, you trimmed all the fat, uh, the right way. I love that. Uh, I love this, uh, this moment Nicole here. pasted is, over Buddy Rich. Yeah, it's kind yeah, of, yeah. It's like sort of what his life is becoming. And right. we used to continue that scene and see him actually 
you know, ignore the text and go, and go back to listening to Buddy Rich and, you know, in a way that was kind of like a hat on a hat. We sort of get the point. I think, again, Miles's face sort of tells yeah. you everything you need to know. This scene also used to be longer. A lot of these sort of quieter moments with Miles and other people used to be slightly longer and slightly more kind of spelled out. Um, but we were able to let them live on his face or Paul's face. There's another great look he gives right there. That look at Paul is so not full of admiration. <laughs> yeah. You know? Um, this was the very first scene we shot. Um, and I remember uh, this was the AD's idea. Nick Harvard was our AD on this movie. Uh, he's probably, if I can thank one person for actually enabling this movie to get shot in 19 days, it's him. Did you hire him just because of his last name? Well, that and he's French. Being the same as the so, alma mater. So, oh, well. So, okay. Yeah, it, it was the it was perfect, nationalism perfect and alma mater. Yes, yes. Um, and it was his idea to... Uh, to actually begin with a scene you would normally never begin a shoot with. Uh, you, you know, these kind of six-person dinner table scenes are notoriously difficult to cover, difficult Time to sucks. shoot. Time yeah. sucks. This was also a scene that even in the script, people were sort of suggesting should be cut because it was going to take us too much time. Right, and, and it's such and, a disparate... I mean, you have six different actors in this, you know, oh, coming yeah. together for oh, the I mean, first we, time. We could have really saved ourselves a lot of trouble by not doing the scene, let alone doing it first. But his, his thinking, which I think was kind of brilliant, was that was that, first of all, we don't have a lot of time to shoot this movie in general. The worst thing you could do for the pace of this shoot would be to begin it with something that was just kind of business, that we should begin with something that was really juicy, really meaty, yeah. let the actors and the crew know that we were not, we were not going to... Like, Sidney Lumet has this great story of sort of similarly shooting movies this way where he, he'll begin, he would begin his shoots with... Um, with uh, setting up a shot that seems kind of like, you know, a sort of bit of business shot, a simple shot, he'd say, you know, go. They would shoot it. Then he'd say, good, print it, moving on to the next. And suddenly that tells the crew, I might use the first take. So, and it sets the entire tone. Suddenly people are on their, on their toes. Uh-huh. Well, at least, at least for a couple of movies until that story gets out. <laughs> until the story and gets out. And now you it for future crews. Yeah, well, this is, uh, <laughs> this is where other directors get to steal the same story. But this, in a way, did that for this shoot. It told everyone that we were not going to, you know, we were going to begin with the meaty stuff. And it gave Miles something to really dig into as his character right off the bat. Yeah. And, um, and it was great. It was great fun shooting this Chris Mulkey here at the head of the table. Um, yeah, great cast. I mean, from, from just all phenomenal. the way up and down, the casting in this film uh, between Damien and the casting people was really impeccable. I mean, everybody in that studio band, in the pro band, you know, these, these, char- these you know, people who worked, what, four hours, you yeah. know, yeah. was their time on the movie. Yeah, Terry Taylor was our casting director. Also casted, uh, she also uh, did the casting on the short. Um, that's literally, I mean, I have to say, one of my favorite processes. Just ma- one of my favorite processes on on making a movie in general is just putting the cast together. And when you start to see, you know, you you kind of have your your chart on on the wall of the various headshots of people as they start to be cast in roles, and it starts off almost bare. You know, start off with just you and Miles. Right. And then you slowly fill it in, Nicole and you know, Melissa and Paul Reiser, and slowly starts filling in. And by the end, you have you have an entire wall full of images, and you get to actually look at it and you see your cast. You yeah. see you see it um, in the flesh, and it's really it's so exciting. It really is one of those moments where the movie starts to feel real, um, starts to feel human, and not just like kind of cartoon figures on storyboards or words on a page. Well, and you start, you know, I mean, you're in the office, and you, I mean you feel like you're bonding with these guys already, you know, and then and then yeah. we all get to the set, and, you know, I, I'm the worst in the world at, at learning people's names, and, uh, I mean, I go to a family reunion, I don't know everybody's name. You're pretty good so, at it, uh, I think. Yeah, I mean, I was just, uh, one of the 
one of the musicians. You only called me Miles from, like fifty uh, times, yeah, a thousand times, because yeah. you two are interchangeable to me. All, all the guys in studio right. band, especially because I spent more time with them than with the pro band. You know, I mean, we had a great time hanging out, and and I, I, you know, I probably never learned any of their damn names, except Eugene, because I, I ended up asking him for the for the folder in that previous scene. Yep. Um, but so so many so many great shots of these guys who were who were. Again, some of whom had a little acting background. They were all musicians, and they were all just really focused and and uh, and dedicated to to making this thing work. And and they were uh, they were really a pleasure to work with. And yeah, so one of those guys was at the was at a screening we uh, we attended last night, and it was you know it was like oh he was yeah it was like seeing a long lost pal you know that's I mean, so cool yeah that's awesome. And of course, do I remember his name? No, because that's just I'm an asshole. Well. Doesn't take uh, doesn't take much for you to play one then. No, no, it was not a stretch at all. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's it's uh, it is true that you know that all, all the sort of rehearsal scenes. I mean, they live or die based on based on those other faces in the frame. I mean, I I I, I knew this movie was going to be a movie of 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 faces, and especially for an audience who maybe you know isn't that familiar with the music in the movie uh, or the style of music or what actually the stakes are in a school like this. It's the faces of those kids that tell you everything. They, they, they somehow manage to, without any words, and again, most of them without any acting experience at all, tell you their ambitions, tell you how important this is to them, tell you how scared they are of you, how driven they are. Um, it's all, it was all their real lives, and it was so fun just getting to, especially as a former musician myself, getting to share stories with them on set. You know, we'd like do a take, and a guy would come up to me and go, oh, I remember when my, you know, I had a conductor who did exactly that to me or like yeah. they'd come and go, oh, no, no, my conductor was much worse. He like, he actually threw, he didn't throw a stand at me. He threw a, you know, a, a, a blackboard at me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was just like always one story after another. And and um, this is the office that you talked about that we actually, we used to have a whole other scene in this office earlier on in the movie that, uh, that we spent almost a whole day shooting. Somehow in our 19-day shoot, we, <laughs> we, yeah. we somehow devoted an entire day Yes, he said 19 days. Um, but again, I guess it's it's. I think all this stuff was good for you guys to sort of, sort of even if it doesn't wind up on screen, it winds up in the characters. No, and I, and I love how how raw all this shooting was. You know, him going into the office and, and then you know pulling him out like this. It's it's. Uh, yeah, this it is just it's, it's certainly reflecting his, his emotional. Yeah, and then we go straight to very perfectly composed, perfectly elegant. Uh, shooting for this scene, which to my mind is Miles delivering a speech that he's delivered to a wall, probably, and he might as well be lo- delivering it to a wall right now as well. I, I, I think. In terms of how much he, in terms of how much he cares, how much humanity he, he has. He, yeah. uh, you can even see it in his eyes. His eyes are starting to go dead, and her eyes are her, yeah. the exact opposite. Right. And this is where I think it's really a testament to Melissa as an actress that 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 we were able to just have the scene live on her, and that. You just see all these emotions that are going on in her eyes, and they're so full of emotion, and yet she's not kind of bursting into tears. And this, um, this is one of those really subtle. This is one of those things where, and, and I just discovered this uh, whatever a couple nights ago, and I only met Melissa actually recently because we, well, we have no scenes in the movie. <laughs> um, but she, you know, she didn't know that that this scene was going to live so much on her face, on her right. listening. To, I mean, Miles is talking, 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 and Damien has the camera on her because that's what matters. What matters is the effect his words are having on yep. her, and and she, you know, fortunately, like Miles and like like everybody, at least in my experience on this movie, is one of those actors that never takes a second off. I mean, a lot of times, 
maybe more so in television than film, you know. <laughs> when it's not your coverage, uh, you mm-hmm. work with a lot of actors that are just kind of taking a break. And, um, or when it's not, you know, when you're not the one talking, when you're the one listening and you figure, you know, whatever, they're going to be on the other guy here anyway. But uh, uh, she, uh, she was so present in the moment and, uh, and really, and just working, just, you know, just, uh, just giving and working and being a generous actor. And that's, uh, that's not something you always find. Yeah, I think that's such a, it sort of hits the nail on the head in the sense that that, 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 that scene could have just been about Miles. Uh, but you put the right actor in the role of Nicole and it, and it becomes about a lot more. And, and, and then you see half a second there of him like, well, shit, I was an asshole there. And then boom. And then he goes right back to work. Right back to work. <laughs> this is what it's about. And then I mean, boom! You, you are seeing someone who at this point is deeply, deeply selfish. And uh, so it's behavior that you're, you know, sort of repelled by. And yet... Right, selfish, and, but self-loathing at the same time. Exactly. And, and what, what I love about how Miles plays this next shot right here where he's, you know, I certainly, when I'd get really pissed at my, you know, pissed at my own lack of abilities playing drums, I'd curse and scream and yell. But coming after what he's just done to Nicole as well, there's a real self-hatred here yeah. that I think comes through. And I love having and having seen it now three times, uh, when he's screaming, fuck you there, I, I, it, it struck me two different ways. He's screaming, fuck you at himself, you know, self-loathing, but then he's screaming, fuck you at Fletcher, like, you know, I can do this, I can do this. You yeah, know? yep. I think he's also screaming, fuck you at the world, in a sense of just yeah. the, uh, the world for judging. I think, him. frankly, he's saying, fuck you at Damien. Uh, Miles, kind of again, at, at that point in the shoot, is probably exactly right. Yeah. Um, there's definitely a big uh, fuck you moment coming up, which I guess we'll talk about later when we get into the drummer, th- three, the three, the three-person drum off. This is the one scene where the, the Damien kept in the movie <laughs> yes. where we, we actually briefly see a human being inhabiting the skin of Mr. Fletcher. But again, I love that, we, you know, how much he lingered on Miles in that shot there, who's, you know, whatever, you know, he's a fucking movie star and I'm just a dried up old character actor. So that's part of the reason to live there. But all these guys, man, I mean, I mean, look at we, these we, shots we, of these guys. These guys are musicians, man. Out of pity. <laughs> no, no, it's so true. No, 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 exactly. Those faces are, I mean, we had so many faces like that and they, they were beautifully shot in, uh, you know, Sharon shot them in these wider angles. So when you have these kind of, when you have wide lens uh, close-ups of faces, to me, it just reminds me of like, it feels like, you know, kind of monumental. It feels like, you know, like if you look at old like Soviet movies, Eisenstein movies, they're all composed of these close-ups and wide lenses of faces and it makes people feel larger than life. Uh, and uh, an example right there. And there's Miles. And, and uh, this was actually kind of very, you know, sort of taken from personal experience in the sense that I, I remember this conductor that I had scaring me, scaring me, scaring me. But every once in a while, like I remember once he gave a, a speech about a piece of music. It was actually not even jazz. It was a piece of classical music. He'd started in classical and he got so emotional. And I remember once he also talked about someone who, whom he had lost. And again, also got very emotional. And to be these sort of quiet emotional moments where suddenly you'd see this human being and you'd feel for them. And But this would be a person that, you know, you were terrified of the second before and would become terrified of a second later. But seeing that kind of dichotomy, I remember just as a young musician being so fascinating and weird and and both unsettling and moving. Yeah, yeah, and, and both aspects of it can, can be sort of unsettling, you know? And uh, uh, people, you know, people, one of the questions people ask actors is, you know, how do you, you know, where does the emotion come from? How do you cry? How do you scream? How do you laugh? You know, uh, um, 
and uh, and again, I, I I always go back to uh, if if the writing is is really good on the page, acting almost any kind of emotion is is uh, easy for me for for uh, you know because it's 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 just channeling into into uh, what a good writer wrote playing uh, playing bad writing is what's really 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 hard <laughs> <laughs> and now here we see you know again we're seeing this is just a shot of you know guys getting their music out of their folders but you you see on their faces what they've just experienced you know the uh, a moment that maybe the one moment they will ever experience like that with with this character that that shot we just saw of miles is maybe my favorite miles moment in the movie um in the sense that tells you where this character is jk has just given this right. long heartfelt yeah. speech yeah. about a student dying and as soon as he says oh Connolly, not quite right he doesn't even right. say miles he's all about to take the part. Says, as soon as he says Connolly, not quite right you see this smile on Miles's face, it's not overdone, but it's it's just just enough. And uh, I remember when Tom and I were editing it, we, we found that moment. We kind of hinged this part of the scene on that. We kind of knew uh, that's what this scene is about. Motherfucker! And what's interesting also about this now is you see you see these musicians looking scared. The one person who, to my mind at least, is not scared and does not look scared at all right now is Miles. This is the total, it's a, it's a 180 in a sense from the initial studio band rehearsal scene where Miles gets the chair thrown in him and slapped and everything where there is real kind of fear and agony on his face. At this point, I see more anger on his face than, and more drive on his face than fear. And so you see JK, at this point we've actually developed Miles into like a worthy adversary to you. Because you see that's, that's, yeah. that's not fear. Yeah. Sorry guys, hate to put you through this. But you look at the, you look at the other in, musicians. I got to get in my dig about drummers here, I think. Oh, yeah, which you added, of course. I would never write that. <laughs> That's Adrian Baker right there who just gives a perfect look of, yeah. oh, my God, I'm so glad I'm not them. <laughs> Seriously, take 10, 20, a fucking hour. You hear me, cocksuckers? And we have this very sort of subtle drone kind of building up that Justin, uh, Justin composed for this scene. And I remember the scoring this scene was tricky because... Uh, you know, it starts off as not audible at all, and you kind of realize it's sort of building as it builds, and it builds into this sort of uh, piano chord that's repeated over and over as as, as Andrew's drumming, um, which we basically ripped from uh, from um, Don Giovanni of all things. Don Giovanni, a little uh, yeah. Mozart. Um, uh, you know, also dealing with. Well, there's a little full circle. I did, forces, uh, right? I did Leporello's catalog aria on my senior recital oh, yeah? from Don Giovanni. We, that's, that's actually, I knew that. And that's <laughs> what, it was a little bit of... <laughs> but, like, finding the right kind of... Oh, and here's my, uh, my homophobic rant. I finally get to go into my... Uh, I'm going to, you know, play a, a, a prissy homo on this because, because uh, I, I got to insult pretty much every... Everything you know, I got to be uh, uh, gender biased, uh, anti-Semitic, racist, homophobic, uh, anti-Irish. Uh, yeah, anti everything, anti everything that wasn't uh, Terrence Fletcher. Yeah, no, he's a man full of hatred. Um, but it's all about dehumanizing people, and and to me, it's it's the that's a, the, the, that's a great image. Yeah, great shot, of Nate. Nate just yeah, <laughs> barely even drumming anymore. It's just becoming machine like. What the fuck are you looking for? There's no pot of gold down there. Pot of gold, that was, uh, it's the seat height was you. problem the whole time, the seat height. So now you have it, right? Go. You're not supposed to laugh at your own joke, JK. God. Come on, it's just you and me hanging out. I apologize. <laughs> 
So we've got the score slowly building up here, and we've got Miles sort of going, you know, off and on and off and on. But again, I think that resolve is just building itself. All that's really standing in his way right now is physical limitations, and he's finally going to break through those here. Um, this is sort of the final forging, I guess, at which point I think by the end of this scene he is, uh, he is totally on the dark side. And to, you know, to kind of achieve the... I mean, there's just these incredible faces that Miles makes that are just not really active. It's really just him drumming that fast. You I mean, know what I love, too? The, he's in the, the black T-shirt in this scene. Or the dark. It was a dark gray. We talked voice. about it's it's Star Wars is what we ripped off. There you go, I remember yeah. the, when I was young watching Star Wars, the, the my probably the first kind of thing of symbolism I ever noticed in movies was yeah. that Luke Skywalker starts off wearing white and then starts wearing gray and darker shades in Empire Strikes Back, Empire Strikes Back and then by the end he is wearing black and he becomes Darth uh -huh. Vader. So uh, this was me doing a lower budget version of Star Wars. Um, <laughs> and you're Darth Vader. But the Oh, I thought it was Yoda. Um, well, that too. <laughs> you look quite a bit like Yoda. I met Yoda. Did you meet Yoda? Yeah, I met Yoda at, uh, at Toronto. Awesome. The, the guy who's Yoda was sort of modeled after. Right. But yeah, what I was so here you're hearing those Don Giovanni chords going, and it's becoming this whole sort of pitch. Um, scoring this, I remember like at first the score was too loud, then there wasn't enough. We had to find that sort of balance. You're finding a balance that's sort of subliminal underneath the wall of sound, but also just shooting it. Um, we shot take after take after take of this um, in long, continuous takes, and we wouldn't, we would barely cut. We would go, I'd yell reset, we'd go again, I'd yell reset. I mean, Miles is legitimately exhausted at this point, and so are the other drummers. And so when I was yeah, referring no to required. a, when I was referring to a fuck you, I think they all kind of hated me. At the end of this, in fact, this was probably the scene where you told Miles, "Dude, you should you should hold on a little bit. We're going to do a lot of takes of this." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Conserve, conserve. It's a marathon. Yeah, this was a marathon. A scene. nineteen day marathon. Yeah, this and this was this was pretty late at night. This shot, as I recall. Yep, yep. I think uh, and this again, is the, this helps, is helps like, act uh, the fatigue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is this is straight out. I of love how you're still like have this fashion sense though. They all come out <laughs> like zombies. You're doing your <laughs> scarf. Well, it's cold, you know. man. We were. <laughs> But this is this is, I love this shot. This is like you know this is straight out of whatever. I mean, he looks like he's just gone fifteen rounds. It's what's you know it makes me happy that Miles is actually playing a boxer in his next movie because yeah. certainly this he looks like a boxer. Um, his nose, the scars on his face, it's just uh, again there's something so brutally physical about his face and um, and this is not the same kid brutal. that we it's began just a the movie with. Face. Let's just, let's brutal, admit it. yeah, it's just, yeah, yeah. It's just brutal. brutal to look at. It is terrible. Brutal to remember. So yeah, I mean, you know, for, for, the, the, here's a, here's a really one of my favorite shots too coming up here. Wait a minute, am I wrong? You must be completely wrong. Which one are you talking about? Yeah, that. Oh. That it's like, what the fuck is going on back there? <laughs> you know, he's got his headset in and he's in the zone. You know, I, he, he doesn't. I remember getting dirty looks when I was sort of on buses trying to <laughs> learn how to play stuff. The the whole model for for this, basically from the bus all the way to to the end of this whole sequence. You know, after he tackles you, um, was uh, it, it was like a drug sequence. To, to to Tom and I cutting it was just you know, it's in terms of scoring it as well. It's just. Let's build up the pitch inside this guy's head so that it just becomes unbearable, and then let's keep going once it's already unbearable. Uh -huh. Those sort of scenes where you're like, okay, it can't possibly get worse. Oh, no, it can't get worse. Oh, okay, now now it's over. Now the movie's probably over. Oh, no, the scene's still going. And there's, uh, you know, so we, we ripped off the uh, certainly the uh, the famous 
you know, stirring the sauce, getting the that, coke. I'm sorry to interrupt uh, there, but that that shot the there of the of the the stick bag on the chair gets an audible gasp. Does it? Oftentimes, in, in I mean, the I've been at one screen yeah, where it did. Yeah. That's I mean, always nice. Yeah. You always hope that you want to have stuff be as quick as possible for people so that you don't look feel like you're you don't want to sell it too hard and yet you want it to be you know, you want it to be there enough that people notice. So there's always a little bit of a worry in my mind that the stick bag is almost not long enough. That was some serious acceleration on that speedometer there. <laughs> I mean, that's a, for, you actually look at cheesy how, rental cars. You like. actually go up to see how fast it goes. It's actually <laughs> impossible. But again, it's this this whole this is where I wanted the movie to sort of tip on tip into fever dream and sort of become that kind of coke addict sort of uh, yeah. on a bender kind of thing. In many ways, I think this is a drug movie. Uh, it's just the drug is drums. Yeah. And this was the last scene we shot. This was our martini scene That's of right. the whole shoot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 6 a.m. And it was uh, Miles, you know, at, at his height of, you know, like actually going toe-to-toe with Fletcher for the first time. Yep. We shot this entire scene, I think, in half an hour. I remember we had... We had yeah, it was, we had, we had it was get, quick. We had to get out at 6 a.m., and it was, I think, 5.30 or 5.40 when we started shooting. And we just took the camera, got the two angles. It was handheld, so it sort of sped us up a bit. We had to get a few of these angles. We did a couple takes, and that was it. And that was a wrap on our shooting. Man, that felt so good to be done with shooting. Jeez. It felt so good to just scream at Miles. <laughs> <laughs> this felt like a good scene to end on, in a way. It just kind of, you guys get to just yell at each other full volume for once. It's actually the one scene where you two are yelling at each other. Yeah. By the time you're done at Shaper, but just again, the dead eyes and Miles and the sort of this resolve in him is just, uh, we can let Johnny Utah play the part. you know, in a sense, Fletcher is this sort of immovable object. He doesn't, there's not that much of an arc for Fletcher. There's, right, we, we're, we're learning different shades. He's like an onion that's unpeeling, but he himself as a character is sort of in one spot. And Miles, uh, kind of goes from A to Z. Yeah. And then if anything, the arc for Fletcher all takes place in the last 10 minutes. Yes. Yep. Yeah. How did it feel to only have to act in the last 10 minutes of the movie? <laughs> With no words. In Here, the last this, 10 is, this is a brilliant little thing that Justin, as composer, did too. Right before the truck comes, he introduces the music from the date with Nicole. Which you probably, oh. maybe no one recognizes, but you sort of subliminally puts in the opposite emotion right. when things were nice. Wow, cool. But he turns it into this hellish uh, section. Well, in that shot, you know, I mean, for, for you know, a movie that's obviously not like an action movie, but, uh, but that shot, which was, you know, maybe the only sort of stunt sequence in the film, and, and, and I actually have no idea how you, how you shot the crash itself, but so I will tell you, J.K. Please do. How did you shoot this? How did we shoot it? Uh, it was our second day of shooting. I remember that. I actually, so. I actually dropped by this day just <laughs> yes. to... Uh, right when we were doing this shot is yeah, when you dropped by. Yeah, Because you, you, you saw Miles all bloodied up. Mm-hmm. Um, Are you okay? Essentially, it's three shots stitched together, but the whole idea was to make it feel like one shot. So you're seeing Miles actually drive in his car, and then we pan down. We whip pan down to his phone as he puts it down. There's a hidden cut in there. As we whip pan back up, we are against green screen, and the truck you're seeing come at, uh, in a green screen. Uh-huh. And then Miles, Miles had to kind of, you know, doing the green screen part was, of course, a little funny. It was just sort of yelling, truck! And Miles yeah. just sort of would yeah. fling back. And as soon as he flings back towards the camera, there's another hidden cut there, thanks to the black of his back. 
and there we cut to an actual stunt double, uh, this guy named Brady who was put in a car that was tilted at, at sort of 90 degrees and then dropped. And uh, so the last part of that is all real, but it's not, it's not Miles. So, um, but it was all about hidden cuts and also doing it quick enough and fast enough and, and also making sure that the audience, the audience is, is, the fun of it is that the audience is thinking, oh my God, he's late, he's late, he's going to be late, how's he going to make it? The truck coming at you is probably not the first thing that's, that's on your mind uh, when you're watching it. So you don't have time to actually really slowly observe the truck and see whether you think it's realistic or not. And here, speaking of realistic, we kept going back and forth on how bloodied up can Miles be? And I mean, at the end of the day, it was, I mean, obviously, <laughs> if I'm looking at him, I'm like, wow, this is messed up. But, you know, I mean, the, the way Damien puts it together, it's, you know, it's the moment. And if I want to win this competition, and I always want to win these competitions, you know, I have, I have no choice but to give a downbeat and see what yeah, happens. It, it, now, it, it is funny that sort of the moment on your face before you actually kind of give the band the, the, uh, the cue it shows just how fucked up Fletcher really is because you're a lot of people in the audience there's not many people in the audience we'll see later it's you know as most of these competitions are the audience right, is actually the basically empty and they're sort of somewhat far away so but you can get a full kind of close look at what Miles looks like and you can tell he's been through something um, and yet that doesn't stop you you asshole and here comes Miles favorite moment in the film is coming up here the moment where he broke two of my ribs uh, uh, yes. Tackling me after, he, 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 after I got to slap him you know, around. He, you know he likes to brag about that. No, in, I know. In interviews yeah. and yeah. everything. It's, it's a beauty. It's, he's, he's such a little brat. <laughs> <laughs> it was fun also using Caravan at this point. You know, where there you see how of, sparse the audience yeah, is yeah, there. It's, it's just, just, a, it's just very, a few judges. Very few people. Maybe one kid's mom and dad who happened to live in Denellen. Oh, those poor, those poor parents. <laughs> We've gone to adjudications like this for our kids uh, middle school and high school music groups and we're like we're always the only parents there but it's like that's a great place to get to hear your kids play it's true and it's funny how few parents actually go i mean certainly i remember the competitions i would go to were not very heavily uh attended here we go he's out oh, miles is so happy. no <laughs> <laughs> you can just see the glee on miles's face <laughs> finally and again, you know, appropriately enough, this was either the last day of shooting or the second to last day of shooting. That's when we were doing all this competition stuff. So we got to build up to this to this moment. A little blood on my coat there. Not my own. Piece of shit! Fuck you! Again, a lot of boxing analogies. I mean, that was all very, you know, it's very kind of, very intentional. Um, Man, I love, uh, sorry, I love when we cut to this. And, I mean, what the... Where the hell are we? What, you know? Yeah, there used to be stuff in the script that kind of segued into this a little more. Um, oh, I love the abruptness of it. And, uh, yeah, no, it just works much better. And even in the cutting, we kind of played with the rhythms a bit. But I like his first line is, how long have you been talking to her? It's almost like it's his dad's new girlfriend or something. It's like, how long? Right. And then we find out, no, it's not exactly the case. Um, and this actress, April Grace, um, I saw in... Uh, uh, Magnolia, where she plays a, uh, um, she plays the interviewer who gets under Tom Cruise's skin, and it's this incredible sort of extended sequence between them. Um, so in a weird way, this character was sort of somewhat molded after that interviewer. There's there's a way that she has of being extremely gentle and kind and almost maternal to Miles, and yet 
she's saying things that in a way are just as painful to him as anything Fletcher says. Uh, what a, is that like a great shot of uh, Captain Fabulous there? Um, fantastic. It's Mr. Whatever. Fantastic. He, uh, uh, it's interesting. Uh, that's a cool shot, too. Who's yeah, the kid? The kid not playing the paradiddle. Yeah, not His playing a paradiddle. Sam, uh, and uh, we actually shot that. F- uh, Paul Reiser shot that footage on our first day of shooting. As soon as we were done oh, with yeah. the uh, with the dinner table scene, we gave Paul Reiser a little video camera, and had uh, Sam get his get his drum kit out, and Paul Reiser started shooting it. And Paul Reiser was so sweet. You know, he, I, mean, so it's, I mean, you hear the stuff off screen. He's going, "Yeah," just he's just having <laughs> such a blast. And uh, I mean, I remember cool. certainly. I remember my dad, you know, buying me my first drum kit and everything. There's something. It's all the great memories you have. As a drummer, and, and I remember, well, just as a kid too. Just yeah, as, as a, a kid, person, and I mean, also as something that then becomes such a source of dread for you. I remember when I was in the thick of competitions and everything, just thinking back to my early days as a drummer and thinking, man, it was so innocent. Used to be fun, yeah. It used yeah. to be fun. I love the way you cut back and forth here too, because it, it, you know, I mean, it it feels like it's you know it's a linear story, and then and then we uh, when we the first time we cut away to Miles, I think it's, it's like this scene is over. Um, right, and then and then we come back to it, and and you know let it develop and let the whole thing sink in like it's sinking into him right now, and then making the decision. And Miles, I remember, talked to me about you know when we were doing when we were doing this scene, you know, his take on this is just you know he's coming into this room after being going through this experience, and it's like it's like going into the room and realizing, geez, how crazy was I? And yet he's sad to not be that crazy anymore. That you know, it's like, it's like the That's scene of someone getting right better. There, taking the Buddy Rich photo. I mean, I mean, you know. Yeah, there's such a, there's something so sad about it, you know. Um, throwing the stuff in the trash, and suddenly the, the practice room that used to be his life is now completely empty and looks like the mental asylum cell that it probably always was. Where was this? Where where did you shoot this? This was in the basement of the Palace Theater, I believe. Hmm. Yeah, everything was at the Palace. And that little piano tune you're hearing was the, the theme that Justin came up with for the score, uh, which is actually the same melody you hear in the overture, that big band piece uh, that you hear in the overture in the end credits, the same melody that you, J.K., play, play yeah. at the piano. Um, it's a melody that uh, you hear reprised over and over again. Pretty much everything in the score is a riff on that melody. You know, when I first saw that, I thought this was, I thought it was like a cymbal bag over <laughs> his shoulder, and I thought, wait, well, what the... And then I realized it's... I thought he was done. It's laundry. Laundry, passing just by our, our superimposed, right. that JVC Jazz Festival, that's just a comp that we put in. Um, they're sitting here listening to, uh, they were originally watching Charade, um, which we uh, couldn't get the rights to, so they're watching uh, Easter Parade with Fred Astaire. Um, I can tell that they're acting like they're watching Charade, though. <laughs> yes, you can, it was actually a huge problem <laughs> that their facial expressions <laughs> did not match at all. It's probably the least happy movie watching thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, this is a beautiful little, you know, six second scene there too. You know, such a nice father son dynamic. You know, it's again where you kind of you rely on good actors to be able to say a lot with a little. Um, also, just the the sadness of this this apartment. I mean, we used to have more again more establishing stuff with this apartment that this was an apartment that you know uh, Miles is no longer living. He's he's been kicked out of Schaefer, so he's not living on campus. He's not living back at home with his dad. His dad helped sort of find him a little kind of one bedroom in the city. 
but it's completely bare. It's white walls. It's just, again, going back to the drug metaphor, this is very much about sort of, it's the addict trying to, the former addict, or you're always an addict, but the the, the recovering addict trying to, oh my God. Sorry. How did we, we get the, yeah, was that no, yellow cab no, hired? We had, we had a PA standing on the corner going, Waiting for this was, that was shot in LA. And that was, uh, there are two things that, that sell that scene for New York City. One is, Damien starting out on the on the kid with the with the pickle barrels, you know, playing, and uh, and the second one is is we we actually got a yellow cab going. Never even noticed that yellow there. cab. That's amazing. Get the, who directed this movie, man? <laughs> oh, not me, Reitman. Good lord. Oh yeah, he's good. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Speaking of good, man, these three guys. I mean, this was such a pleasure because I don't really, I mean, I'm I'm really playing the piano here, but I I don't. I'm not a piano player. I, I had to practice that this very simple, very beautiful Justin Hurwitz jazz ballad, but I had to practice it a lot. And, you do uh, a great job. And there were brief moments where I actually settled into the pocket with Fufu and these guys here. And yeah, was, Fufu I mean, the drummer. These guys. Such a character. He's great. Video. Oh, Such these guys! A these guys are—I mean, again—they are as authentic as you get. And these, the guy, these guys have played with everyone. The guy in the foreground, the first time we see Miles walk in there was Cal, yep. yeah, who ends Another up uh, great playing in player. the in the jazz in the pro band later. He'll he'll be our uh, first saxophone. Another funny thing about this jazz club is that we are actually outside. Uh, this is the uh, this is the kind of out outer arcade of the Palace Theater. Um, uh, and Melanie Jones, our production designer, turned it into a jazz club. You can see how much he loves me there. It's just, it's just pure love. Love, you think so? Come on, and I think it's coming from Miles to J.K. Really, as much as from Andrew. Oh, Fletcher. it's definitely, it's definitely actor to actor. I think. <laughs> or maybe he was looking in a mirror for that shot. I don't know. I remember I wrote this as you know, basically saying that he sees Fletcher playing like a, you know, handling the piano like a like a newborn baby. With just such, you know, just that there's such a del, uh, just this delicate touch that you have with the keys that is so, so opposite to how you are with your players normally. Yeah, the whole scene is such a, uh, you know, and even uh, the astute observer will see that this is the only scene in the movie where I'm actually wearing something different, you know, and just look a little more relaxed and human. A little more like a normal guy. Hmm. I don't know if you heard. Uh... I'm not a Schaefer anymore. And this, uh, you know, as usual with the, I mean, this is a, a really long scene where, where we learn a lot. And, uh, and of course, it was longer uh, on paper. Yep. You know, there was, there was a significant portion that was cut, and some of which was, you know, my own bullshit rant that I went on. Because I, you know, uh, again, Damien, you know, we, we, did, we did what was written, and, and then we also, you know, had the freedom to, to throw stuff in there, too. So I was... Uh, uh, Adding my own uh, my own metaphors about uh, you know about the 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 willingness of people to settle for mediocrity and about how important yep. I thought it was to battle against that and this is a philosophy uh, honestly that I'm uh, espousing here that Fletcher is espousing here that I completely understand and almost 100% agree with. Um, obviously, it's the method that uh, that uh, is a little. Uh, a little questionable. Well, what's questionable about the method? I don't understand. Well, I thought see, Fletcher was the hero of the movie. Well, see, I always did too, but then I've been talking to Miles too much. I guess, yeah, you're right. No, yeah. don't, don't talk to Miles. He's, he's, he's... Exactly. Well, talking to Miles is okay. It's the listening to Miles where yeah, you get yeah, in yeah. trouble. Just don't, just don't believe anything he says. Thanks for the reminder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for sure. I remember uh, Helen Estabrook was, uh, was one, uh, 
you know, one of the producers on this. Um, when we and were she sh- was uh, the voice of all that is right and good uh, on the set and, and uh, yes. providing, uh, providing wisdom. And uh, well, she, she was the Yoda she, of the movie, she, actually, she now did, that I think it. She's, she's young and lovely, but she, she was... provided some Yoda-like wisdom on this, yeah. on this scene. Because um, I remember, she was there for every day of shooting, but there was one scene, I think, that she wasn't able to... I think she had to put out a fire somewhere, and... and uh, and she, you know, gave me one sort of word of, word of advice in terms of miles in this scene. And it was just, it was just one sentence. It was, finally, someone gets it. <laughs> and that's, that's, that's miles in the scene, if you actually look at it. Uh-huh. It's, uh, and that's, that's what's twisted and sad about it and everything is that, you know, he, he's trying to adjust to, quote unquote, sober living. Um, and in that sense, JK is the last person that you want to kind of run into. But, um, but you were saying this, you're saying all the things that he kind of wishes that his family would say. And this is the right. flip side of the family dinner. This is this is finally the person who actually completely sees eye to eye with him and understands him and understands right, and all what the gets stuff him. That he, that he was trying to live up to before and, and gave up on. Or did he? Well, yeah. God, I'm a handsome man. Oh, I could look at myself all day. <laughs> You know, Helen Esther. Me too, J.K. In fact, in fact, Tom and I did. <laughs> yes, I know. Grueling. Many days. Helen was uh, was an assistant in my agent's office, like yeah, whatever, seven years ago or eight years ago. It's uh, it's not even that long, probably. Is, she, you know, her, probably her, not. her rise to prominence is pretty meteoric. It's in fact, it's Andrew Neiman like. <laughs> well, it, it, maybe without the level of drive, but certainly with uh, with the level of uh, bloody hands, <laughs> just a level of talent and and and. Uh, understanding and, uh, and intellect, you know, she's, uh, all right, all right, enough, all right, Helen's nice, we like Helen. Okay, Helen, you listening? You're not happy, all about you, now? Helen, that's it, okay. we're done. All right, moving on. Back to us. So. <laughs> the truth is, Andrew, I never really had a Charlie Parker. But I tried. I remember shooting this, uh, you know, there's, there's something also about, I think you genuinely... Like, looking back on the scene, I think clearly there's a lot of manipulation going on here, and that's part of the fun of it, I guess, is that, uh, you know, in what to what extent are you actually saying your mind, and to what extent are you completely just luring the lamb back in? But Well, I, th- but I, I, think, I don't think the two were mutually exclusive Oh well, yeah, exactly. That's the beauty of exactly. it. You know? and, and I think you do genuinely wish that you had found your Charlie Parker, uh-huh. and you do genuinely feel that you didn't. And maybe Sean Casey got close, maybe some other people got close, but you've never actually found your Charlie Parker, and you still hold out hope. I mean that's the thing. I, th- I think I think from the very first moment that Fletcher sees Andrew playing the kit in the very first scene of the movie, he is maybe already plotting out the end of the movie in his mind, and it, it, it takes a different takes a different road than he than he anticipated. But I think you what what makes Fletcher brilliant is that unlike anyone else in the world, he's able to see Andrew play for a couple seconds and see immediately a he has the potential to go the distance, and b he has the resilience to go the distance. That he might seem like this shy kind of wimpy kid. But deep down, he's, well, uh, he's right. going to take it. I think. I hope he has the resilience. And if he doesn't, fuck it. I'll chew him up and spit him out. And, and, and if he does not have the resilience, I'll move on. I mean, I'm, I think I'm that's, again, unconcerned with the human collateral damage. Exactly. That's exactly your, uh, your philosophy is that, you know, you know what? If it takes uh, – if I have a room full of ten kids – um, this is why you don't care about discouraging people. If I have a room full right. of ten kids, I use my methods. They discourage nine out of ten of them. If they lead to one out of ten of them becoming great, then it was totally worth it. It's, it's like the, it's like the uh, the twisted version of the uh, of uh, Rilke, the letters to a young poet. Did you ever read that? 
No. Did I read something that you haven't read? Oh, I finally found something. Um, uh, Rainier Maria Rilke, you know, the great poet uh, who, uh, you know, very romantic yeah. 19th century. And uh, and there was a, a young, struggling young man who, who wrote him letters about his struggles with life and his and love and, and, you know, just his existential angst and his, uh, you know, wanting to express it and be a poet. And uh, and Rilke tries to uh, discourage him and... and uh, and, and says, you know, if if there is anything else in life that you could possibly do that you think may make you happy, do that. <laughs> and only if there truly is not should you be a poet. Mm-hmm. I think Andrew would fall into that category. I love this scene, too, because... It, because uh, uh, it's part of that anachronism that you, that you were establishing throughout the movie that, you know, this, I mean, in real life, most kids now, this, this is a text message. This is an email or something. But the fact that he has this, this, this awkward phone mm-hmm. call with her and, and the realization. He probably wishes it were a text message. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, <laughs> right, he probably right, does right now, about yeah. now. <laughs> this was, uh, this was actually all done, you know, raw, so to speak, live. This is Nicole actually, uh, Melissa actually on the phone. Which is a beautiful way we, to shoot these scenes. Her. And it's it's the second time in my life. The first time actually was a, a was a movie with Brad Pitt uh, called The Mexican. You're such a name that, uh, dropper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God. Um, and and I had phone conversations with him. And and the first the director called me at home, Gore Verbinski, and and asked me if I would. They were shooting in Mexico. I was living in New York. Yeah. Asked me if I would get on the phone with Brad, and it was some weird time of day and everything. And and I and I thought absolutely. So, so the first thing I did in that movie was actually being an offstage, you know, phone voice for Brad for a scene where Brad's at, at the payphone, and we played the scene together, and uh, and then you know six weeks later or whatever it was, I was doing my end of the phone call. We're shooting in uh, I don't know. I think we were down in Mexico still. Maybe we we're back up in L.A. And uh, and sure enough, there's Brad in the next room on a phone. He didn't even have to be there that day, but you know he showed up to do uh, to do the other That's half awesome. of the of the phone call, and it really. It really makes a difference. It does and, make and people difference. People just uh, so rarely uh, take that extra step. I love that shot of him looking, and then boom, Carnegie Hall. For those of you who don't know, that's Carnegie Hall. Yeah. And Damien nicely framed out most of the. Uh, there was scaffolding up. Yeah. At Carnegie Hall, I, I actually, I, I, I had told him when we were when we finally decided we had seventy five dollars to go to New York. Um, I told Damien, I said, you know, I know we're doing all these Carnegie Hall exteriors, but I think there's scaffolding up at Carnegie Hall, so you can't see, you know, that it says Carnegie Hall. And he was like, oh, shit, is it, you know, if it's still up? Because I had been in New York a month yeah. or two before. And I called a friend of mine who lives at 59th and 7th. Mm-hmm. And I said, we, and he literally looked out his window <laughs> and could see that the scaffolding was still up. I remember being really worried about the scaffolding, but it's like, it's funny. I forget that there's, there's even scaffolding on it now when I see those shots. But we almost scrapped the Carnegie Hall shot when we thought, I thought the scaffolding, when I first heard scaffolding, I literally thought it was like... Like all the way up. All the way yeah. up. You guys are such overreactors. <laughs> we just didn't know what an artist you are. This, uh, I remember this, uh, this speech, uh, the first time you saw a cut, this speech had been cut. And again, I'm sorry to interrupt. This is a, such a great oh example. God, it's like the scene living on Melissa's face, you know. I mean, it's me going on, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> but what's important, the, you know, it's the important miles. thing in that moment is, is the impact that it's having on, on Andrew and, and, and his mindset going into this next thing. Yep. And, uh, and then my, my second favorite shot in the movie is we're about to go by here with, uh, and of course, as I've said, established, I don't remember anybody's name. 
but uh, it's, uh, it's the, Fletcher having his jacket put on, and that's one of our wardrobe assistants. It, to me, is uh, maybe the single funniest shot in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, what were you, you were trying to make some actual point there? Uh, an actual point, not just... Not just Believe uh, me, we got 10 minutes to talk now, because we're about to have a, you know, a, a drum solo for 10 minutes, oh, so we could, we could give our whole biographies. Yeah, drum solos, as boring as you get. Um, <laughs> now, that, that speech you were giving down there, I remember you, you recommended that we... Uh, if we put it back in, which normally when an actor recommends you put back in an actor's speech, normally <laughs> you uh, you nod and politely say yes and then do the opposite. But uh, in that case, it actually it's all about setting the stage for this. And uh, yeah, I thought it, it actually, I thought it really. It, it, oh no, you you absolutely need it. And then you lead up to this moment, which is sort of which was kind of really fun to uh, to shoot. If you recall that sh- shot of you, kind of we shot without cutting about 10 times, you coming up to Miles and saying different iterations right. of, yeah, yeah. I, I know it was Which, by you. the way, I, I thought there were a couple that were better, frankly, so oh, I'd like to talk no. to you about that. Okay, yeah. Well, <laughs> talk, talk to Reitman. <laughs> we're very excited to be here kicking off the JBC Festival this year. This is, that's such a great shot. Oh, poor, poor Miles. Yeah. Oh, I love that guy, too. Just it's, Again, the whole the, ath- the athlete comp, some yeah. of this trumpeter. As soon as we hear J.K. say these are some of the best musicians in the world, you see that trumpeter kind of tilt his head back as yeah. though he's a guy about to go into the boxing ring, and Miles is looking. It's like, it's, it's like uh, looking at the guys who are about to pummel him to the ground. All this stuff was shot in the Orpheum Theater uh, in downtown L.A., Doubling um, for Carnegie. And, you know, it's, it's, it's tough. We had extras to go into these seats for only six hours. So we had to shoot everything in that direction that would actually see extras um, in six hours. And, of course, we didn't have enough, enough extras to actually fill the space. So we used a lot of smoke, um, which is, again, stuff I wanted to use anyway. Um, I just love what smoke does. It helps soften the sharp edges of digital. And then also for something like this kind of gives it that kind of that boxing sort of, you know, trial by fire kind of violent well, sort of feel. Especially if it's subtle enough to uh, find that level. There was a guy on, uh, um, an FX guy on uh, Terminator that had a T-shirt on the back that said, in increasingly large print, more smoke, more smoke, more smoke, more smoke. Too much smoke. <laughs> <laughs> that is pretty much the, uh, the arc. <laughs> I remember there were some shots where producers, like some of the producers would be behind the monitor going, what is with all the smoke? <laughs> Who allowed this? But uh, I also, you know, trot out the age-old kind of, the age-old uh, reasoning that it doesn't, you know, that at a certain point, that kind of realism, you have to, it's more about emotional realism than yeah. physical realism, and that this is what it feels like to Andrew. And that's the Tim Simonek tune, by the way, Upswinging, which yep. uh, I, I did. Uh, one of the things that Damien did not cut from the movie was me giving Tim a little shout out there. Unfortunately, great. we didn't get Justin Hurwitz name into the movie, but no, no, frankly, no, Tim Simonek is a better jazz name than Justin Hurwitz. Justin so. Hurwitz is in the movie. His name is Jackie Hill. Because when Andrew says, this is uh, When I Wake by Jackie Hill, oh, 1938, J-H. at the pizza, uh, I, well, I, we intentionally did that to nice, uh, J.H. Yeah. Nice. You also cut my friend Paul Lang's name from the movie, by the way, you bastard. Um, he was the guy that I wrote on the record I, label. Oh, believe me, I remember. My, yeah. Believe me, I remember. Yeah. So, Paul. Is this really the time this for is, this? This is for you. We'll talk later. <laughs> yeah, and what was the name of this song? The, the, this, um, the, the one, song that ends up being the recurring, uh, you know, the thing that I play in the Paul jazz Lane's club. Paul song, yeah, what was it? it was, Paul Lang, it was, it was you. 
It was you. I was allowed, oh, to, I was allowed to both name the song and the artist who recorded it in 1930. And it whatever. was you is perfect, given that that's your little refrain yeah. at the end. Yeah. Oh, there are levels, baby. I'm, I, I'm a serious onion. <laughs> There's a lot going onion. on there. Um, and this is another scene that was, uh, uh, there was an extended sequence here um, of, yep. you know, Paul fighting through security to get backstage yep. and all sorts of like realistic stuff. And then, and then, and then a, a significant amount of dialogue here. That- yeah, it used to be, this was a, I mean, there's a lot of cheating going on in the cutting here because it used to be right here, security guards come in right now. Uh, Miles looks at the security guards. That's who he was looking at there. Security guards grab him. Security guards ask Miles, do you know this person? Miles says no. It was a whole two-page long um, dialogue where Miles Andrew actually, you know, verbally denies his father and uh and it was just over the top it just didn't uh it didn't sort of work in the context of the movie even though everyone involved did a wonderful job right it um, ends up being totally enough that he just and, leaves him there right yep and uh yeah again less is more in that case and again my the, my my best side there we just saw and this also, that head. whole, him interrupting you was also not originally planned that way. It used to be that you finished giving, introducing a song, and then Andrew, once you were finished, Andrew started playing in, in, in behind as background of the shot of you, and you right. turned around. And, and actually, that was the, actually Cooper's idea to, uh, Cooper Samuelson, another yeah. producer's idea to, to heighten the stakes by having Andrew just literally interrupt you mid-sentence, which is so much better. Yeah, yeah. And, and the song that I'm introducing is Caravan, and it actually does begin with a, a brief drum solo and then brings in the bass and the piano, you know, as we're seeing here. So, you know, he did interrupt me, but it's not like he's going totally off the reservation, you know. I mean, he's, he's playing the tune that's next up. He just, uh, he just disrespected me by well, that's, that's, jumping in there. That's with how it. you am think I, it am is. Am I right? Am I wrong? Well, no, I think that was part of the change we made is that you're, you're introducing, like, now we're going to slow it down a little bit. So you were going to introduce, but in the script, it was different. No, I'm introducing Caravan. I'm introducing Duke Ellington. If he hadn't cut me off, I, I was about to say, most of y'all have heard of a cat named Duke Ellington. Yeah, yeah, no, that's what was in the script. And then we were going to, then we decided to add in an ADR. We added in, like, we're going to slow it down a little bit, get rid of the Duke Ellington part. And suggest that maybe you were about to cue off. I mean, we don't, we don't know for oh. sure, but maybe you were about to cue off a ballad or something. And so that he's truly, manipulative, truly mother. an asshole. That's a great shot, too. But I like that you think you had even more control. <laughs> I, I have no illusion. I'm an actor. I have no, no illusion <laughs> of any control over anything. We do our thing, and then, and then you bastards cut it to shreds. Just show some gratitude, JK, please. <laughs> There's Cal with the glasses on the head. Yes, I love Cal. that look. Again, all, all these guys. There's Marcus Henderson on the bass. Um, just all these guys are real and just great. I mean, shooting this was both very stressful and a lot of fun. Uh, we were on this stage for three days. Uh, so that included all the upswinging stuff, this, the solo, the stuff in the green room. So it included a lot of stuff. So we had to kind of really run like mad. But uh, I remember when Tom... What was this guy's name? You remember names? I, I, I don't know. This guy was great, the trombone player. Oh, the trombone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was great. Again, another pro player. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he could play. The, this is, you know, sweetened. I assume in the final mix, but I mean, th- th- this guy could play this whole solo. I mean, this. Is- oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And all these guys could play this, uh, this stuff. Most of what you're hearing is was pre-recorded at the, uh, the Firehouse, this great recording studio in Pasadena, which you came by and visited. I remember, yeah, yeah, yeah. Prep um, to sort of see, see what we were putting on the mic. Well, and I was, uh, I was, I was already worried about my. Uh, my little ditty in the in the club too, yes. so I wanted to be part of uh, recording that and make sure the piano 
we didn't know, make the, it too hard for you. wasn't too uh, wasn't too sweet. <laughs> <laughs> and here is Fletcher's arc. Of course, there's all this this ambiguity, I guess, to a sense of, of you know to what extent did Fletcher plan for Andrew to kind of come and take the reins? And, yeah, again, uh, I, I, to me, it felt like, and this is a question that comes up often in like Q and A's after screenings and stuff. You know, was it was it manipulation? Was it this? Was it that? And and to me, it was win win. You know. I either humiliate this kid, you know, yep. and, and, and beat him into the ground never to rise again, and that's fine. That's revenge, and that's satisfying, and that's okay. But, you know, if he's a, able to actually get up off the mat, then maybe I've finally got my Charlie Parker. Love this guy, too. All the, the looks of all these guys, you know, I mean, the looks and the fact that they, that's the guy. That's the guy that was with the screening, the third sax there. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, uh, all these My, guys Miles just loves a, to make fun of you for yeah, your face yeah. here. <laughs> well, this is like the most animated and goofy we actually see yeah. Fletcher in the movie. Just just digging this tune, <laughs> and and the, you know the whip pans. Yeah, Alon the gaffer, uh, one of the gaffers took a little behind-the-scenes shot of me. Uh, I was standing behind the camera operator, basically tapping his shoulder every time to uh-huh, cue him yeah, yeah, to yeah. whip pan. I remember that. And, because and it was Alon so, is one of the few names I actually because remember. Because it was so frequent, he, they decided it looked like I was a, um, like a, 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 what do you call it, like a rattlesnake, like a snake going in for the, because I guess my... my <laughs> or like a, like my, a pestering little four-year-old. Or like a pestering, yeah, just kind of going, eh, <laughs> and then the the camera would just uh, whip back and forth. It's quite a funny thing to look at from the behind the scenes vantage point. And then uh, maybe that'll be on the extras too. That shot. Oh, one can only hope. That's I love the the whole uh, kinetic is is a word that people often use. You know, regarding the whole movie, really. I mean, and it begins with that opening, the opening sequence, not the very opening, but the scenes of Miles uh, walking on the streets of New York and, and the way that's cut and stuff. But it it really culminates here in this solo and. Shots like those, uh, like that quick shot of the three different drum heads cutting and back again, to Miles. And again, I just have to sort of give the credit again to Sharon, the DP, and, and Tom Cross, the editor. I mean, certainly cutting this whole sequence, Tom and I, we just cut the sequence during a long course of sleepless nights, kind of working into working into 6 a.m., into 7 a.m. Uh, yeah, not only was this film shot in 19 days, but uh, Damien and Tom had uh, less than 10 weeks to completely cut it together so that they could get under the wire for Sundance. I remember one of the So we could go win a bunch of awards. Right. (laughs) One of the notes we, first notes we got on the scene, you'll you'll like this, JK, it's a very very Fletcher note, was, uh, was, he's good at drums, we get it. (laughs) (laughs) Sort of cut the scene by half. (laughs) Um, To be fair, the scene was a little bit longer, we did make some music edits, Um, but it is one of those scenes where, and it's a little bit of the arguments kind of early on, where you kind of, I say less is more a lot. In this scene, I think more is more. <laughs> I yeah. think this is one of those scenes where you kind of have to sort of um, go past the point where, I guess, a normal movie showing a good solo would go. Well, and again, this is one of those scenes where you understand why people were not throwing millions of dollars at Damien to make this movie. Wait a minute, the movie ends with a 10-minute drum solo? <laughs> okay, next. Love this shot. Love this shot of Paul. So beautiful. God just makes you cry. Oh, yeah, such Paul. a such a beautiful dad moment there. Watching his son, you know, the the monster that has been created and, 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 and all the all the levels that, that that makes him feel. That was a cool and moment. And here's too, there, here's really. the, the replacement dad. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who comes in and 
picks, picks Miles up when he falls. In right. a sense, picking Miles, the symbol up. It's the ride so hard that I have to go there and readjust it. Is that the ride or the crash? Uh, that was a crash. I knew that. I'm glad you learned nothing <laughs> on the shoot. I don't have to play the fucking drums. And here, uh, one other funny kind of, uh, you know, film nerd thing that I liked doing here was was we wind up ending the movie with exactly the same audio that we begin it with. The, the single stroke roll building into a, uh, which is about to start now, building into a sustained buzz. It's a very Buddy Rich trick. Uh, Buddy Rich used it to end a lot of his solos. And as a aspiring drummer and Buddy Rich worshiper myself, I tried it many times. And it's, uh, it's really hard because it's not a double stroke roll. It's a single stroke roll, which is harder to achieve that buzz with and uh, very few people can actually do it the way Buddy did. So it's kind of a drummer's pissing contest in a way is, is, is how well you can do that kind of role. So it's your it's your film nerd and your music nerd. And my drum nerd. Really, thing, yeah. your drum nerd. Your it's whole. me geeking out in all ways in one. <laughs> Look at that little that little flicker you do with your hand. It's so kind of <laughs> somewhat <laughs> sexual. <laughs> yeah, there was, you know, uh, people uh, occasionally comment on the, on the whole is... is is there an undercurrent of homoeroticism here, or I think it's an undercurrent going along with the with the homophobia? You know, is that is that what that's all about? And again, again, it was never it was never conscious on my part, but I, it's right. totally legitimate it's there, there yeah. as uh, as uh, the way people perceive it. This is. I remember my conductor. Uh, you know, certainly it is it is not usual for conductors to kind of conduct, so to speak, drum solos, but I think that's part of what's fun about this, and certainly my conductor helped me construct some of my drum solos, and he would kind of tell me when to go to the cymbals. He would do basically the same kind of hand motions that you do, and uh, and so I remember the moments of joy that I had as a drummer were during drum solos. I'd feel fear all the time, but I was actually good at some of these kind of climactic sort of drum solos and the wall of cymbals sort of tricks. And you were going to end this, this commentary where... talking about what a good drummer you are, really? Uh, well, no, I mean, well, yes, yes, actually. Can we talk more about that? Let's talk more about my Actually, face. the whole Look at this. Here's my smile. You can see it in my eyes. Yeah, bitch. Yeah, we don't, even, we don't even need your lips to know you're smiling. <laughs> That's how ridiculous your face is. <laughs> and we always knew the movie would end with exactly this shot, so it was kind of fun. Uh... Uh, that's basically probably the one part of, of the initial cut of the movie that did not change at all, was it ended exactly with that shot. Well, and, it, and I mean, the movie ends with, you know, how many movies really, really end with the climax? That's, it's, it's such a beautiful ending. Tom and Miles I talked about Miles Teller gets top bill. What the? Um, I, was, I was not aware of that. I was not aware. Sure. Please, JK. I was not aware. <laughs> Tom and I, uh, and actually we, we just talked about this on the short. I remember because uh, Jason Reitman came up with this analogy when we were cutting the short. Uh, and Tom and I wound up using it as a total refrain when cutting this, is that, y you know, Chris Rock will finish a set with a mic drop, and then we just referred to it like, you know, mic drop. Uh -huh. We needed the film equivalent of a mic drop sort of moment, you know? And uh, and the whole idea behind that is you leave them wanting more. You leave them at... Th th there's this sort of foolish notion, I think, in a lot of films that you have to have a denouement. Yeah. And, uh, and you don't. Most of the time, you really don't. Um, no, but it's, it's one of those things, again, it's one of those things you go to a studio and they're like, okay, where's the denouement? And you go, yeah. there isn't one. And they go, all right, next. <laughs> They've already gone next when you told them it's about a jazz drummer. So you haven't even, yeah, you yeah. Haven't even gotten that far. If you managed to get that if far. If you managed then... to get that far. Have you seen, uh, have you seen Death Proof? I haven't seen anything. Were okay, the, were the no. Detroit Tigers involved? Uh, no, but Kurt Russell it. was involved. Oh, I like him. His dad played baseball. Death Proof is a... Uh, is 
it's one of my favorite Tarantino movies that literally ends with, uh, it ends with like a 15 minute car chase that's just incredible. And uh, as soon as the car chase is over, boom, it cuts to, cuts to the credits. It's the most energy, I remember seeing it in college and that's ultimately subconsciously probably where this ending came from of just sort of wanting to end a movie with that kind of raw, sort of just, you know, smack you in the gut kind of uh, uh, volition. Um, so you're giving away all the shit you stole in this movie. I mean, people oh, think you're a stole, creative genius so and, you, and it's just like all stolen. There's no, there's no such thing as originality. You always, uh, you're always stealing. Um, I actually do think that. I think, uh, I think, um, I try to just kind of put every movie I love into, into the stuff I do. But I remember, uh, the fun thing about ending a movie this way, ending a movie with a, with a drum solo or with a jazz concert Tom and I would talk about like how, you know, it's you're always trying to kind of do the best version of whatever you're doing. You know, you're trying to make the definitive whatever. If you're going to do a car chase, you know, good luck making the greatest car chase ever. If you're going to do a boxing match, you know, good luck topping Raging Bull. Right. There's all these kind of sequences where it's kind of like, well, you know, you you have fun with that. Um, good luck topping that. And uh, but lucky for me, there's not that many extended drum solos on film in fiction film. <laughs> So yes, yeah, uh, sort of a sort of a Woodstock. So that's what I do. I, I try to pick something where the standards are so low <laughs> or non-existent or non-existent. <laughs> so it's really easy to just make the best one. Wow, good call. Yep, nicely done. Yep, it's all very pragmatic. I actually wanted to make a movie about a boxer, but I watched Raging Bull and decided, fuck, it's been it's done. Be too hard. Yeah, that's okay. Miles is doing it. Um, <laughs> yeah. And here we are. Uh, the first time I saw the film was at Cannes. Just to place drop a little bit because I didn't get to, I didn't get to go to Sundance where it where it premiered because I was too busy working for a living. Um, but the audience at Cannes, they're just hitting their stride as they applaud at this point in the credits. And, and <laughs> Damien and I are standing there, you know, and the, and there's they got spotlights on us, and, and we're not we're not up on stage. We're just in the middle of the. Yeah. Orchestra where we so saw awkward. the film from. It was incredibly awkward. <laughs> and we stood wonderful. up and we took a bow and we sat down and we stood up and we took a bow and we hugged each other and we stood there and we acknowledged the applause and we sat and I it, it was unlike anything I certainly have ever experienced. And and people who had been at Cannes for years and years and years said the same thing. The audience at Cannes just went berserk and, and the response was uh, was really Really, something wonderful. I love that we got the the last special thanks there to Hank Levy Jazz and the Hank. Levy oh Legacy yeah, I mean, I, I should give a shout a out to the actual Hank Levy estate, Stuart Levy, uh, who allowed us to use not only the music but you know shit called a movie Whiplash. Yeah, that's all. This was a chart that I played in high school and that meant a lot to me. Um, so that and Caravan were the two licensed charts that we kind of built the rest of the movie around. And we got to meet them in New York. They came to the the screening in the yeah. You the met them there, right? The whole thing. Yeah. I'd, I'd met Stuart uh, earlier. But I'm always a little bit ahead of the curve. Uh, yeah, no, uh, you're uh, way you. ahead of me, sir. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Miles is as well. Miles who? Teller. Huh. Unfamiliar with him. Yeah. No, just focus on Miles Davis. It's the only Miles. Miles Davis. I, I assume you, that's who we were talking about the whole time. Is it the Miles Teller? Who is he again? Miles Teller. He was involved in the filming somehow? He's kind of your sidekick in the film. Do you remember? Sort of me. Oh, my little, little bitch. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, little bitch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was all right. Yep. We're out.